HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This week on Meet and 3, we have stories about food in large quantities. From bulk buying groups and reasons for stocking up to creative solutions for handling excess waste. We have someone picking up our corks from the wine bottles and they repurpose them to make buoys for boats and, and, and like shoes and all these different things. Yeah, because of the COVID, uh, everybody like uh, isolated at home. But uh, to see the people face to face is still exciting. So we kind of treat it like a chance to say hello to the people and to the friend. Listen to Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I hope they are all listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. In the before times, we were recording from our studio at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today, on October 13th, 2020, we are recording remotely via Zencaster. It's been an interesting experience. This summer, going into fall, doing all of our shows remotely because of the global COVID pandemic. Um, but it's also afforded us an opportunity that's been a little bit different because we are recording the show remotely. We can talk to people from all over the world and all over the country. And today we're talking with um, some folks who are up in Boston at MIT at the Sloan School of Management on the subject of the 12th Annual Sustainability Summit. Uh, Brandon Lamb, who's MBA student and one of the uh, students directing the program. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Very excited. And we have Jason Jay, who is a senior lecturer and the director of the Sustainability Initiative. Jason, thank you for logging on this morning. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm missing that pizza, though. Yes, we are all missing that pizza. <laughs> <laughs> we are all missing that pizza, and especially on some other shows. Um, the show we did most recently was with a company called Toast Ale, and they use um, discarded bread oh. for to produce beer as okay. a, you know upcycling, and it's also um, 
a sustainable company and they also are a social enterprise and they do a lot of great things and they partnered with a local Bushwick brewery, um, Interborough uh, Ale, to come up with a commemorative uh, brew together. Uh, and it was a great show and we talked about the beer and the brewing and using the bread and all that kind of stuff and the really sad part was in olden times we would have all been sitting together likely drinking drinking it, drinking, drinking it and eating pizza <laughs> yep 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 i gotcha well i appreciate your you're keeping us connected regardless in these times it really is it really is has uh, been an interesting experience and and as i said at the top of the show and just now my hard fast rule for the podcast that i started back in 2015 was i wanted people face to face in the studio and mm-hmm. i really believed that a face to face conversation was better richer more exciting more emotional and I turned down a lot of guests because they were unable to physically be in Bushwick in Roberta's. And now, because we are remote and because we are on Zencaster, it has really opened up a, a huge opportunity to talk to a lot of different people. And we've talked to people from the UK and California uh, and all over. So it's it's been different and it's also been really nice in an interesting way and, and feels very personable uh, yeah. to be talking with people even remotely. I even yeah. had... Um, one guest who had been on the show several times, and when she came on, she said, oh, it's so wonderful to be here. It feels like um, being at home, which was strange because she was at her home, but we mm-hmm. were all together mm-hmm. uh, virtually. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I've, I've been seeing a, a similar experience with my teaching, where uh, I'm teaching remotely this fall from MIT, and the um, the permeability of the classroom has been really nice. Like I've had guests from the Congo and Switzerland and California and Seattle that um, you know just wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to get them to Cambridge otherwise. So um, it's it is it is a interestingly distant and proximal world at the same time. I think a tagline that I saw uh, on social media was socially close, physically distant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, which is nice. Well, this is a good segue, though, into talking a bit about the sustainability initiative and, you know, historically what it is. We've had some student-led broadcasts prior to this one um, working with uh, the kids at the Food and Finance High School in New York City. And I almost oh. feel like this is the next generation. We now have MBA students at MIT, and they're working on their projects. So tell us a little bit about what the Sustainability Summit is and where we are going into the 12th event. Sure, sure. Um, so the Sustainability Summit was conceived back in 2008-9, by um, by a guy called Adam Siegel. He was an MBA student at the time. Um, and he was looking around at an array of different environmental and sustainability-focused clubs and groups around MIT and wanted to kind of unify the space and elevate MIT's voice in sustainability. And so he said, let's, let's, let's create some kind of event that will bring all these groups together, get them working together, get them bringing in outside audiences and um, and create a focal point for conversations about sustainability around uh, MIT. And at the time I was a PhD student um, and helping to nudge along a uh, the creation of the sustainability initiative at MIT Sloan, which is kind of our official 
um, faculty-led effort to drive um, sustainability topics in the curriculum and in research. And so we were able to kind of team up a little bit, but it was really Adam and the other students that led the way in creating this summit. And um, and when it first got started that spring, 2009, you know, we weren't sure if it was just going to be a single event or, um, you know, as a way of bridging these groups, but it really became a tradition. Um, and for us as a sustainability initiative, it's really become kind of a flagship event for for our programming. And it's a chance to bring together um, investors and uh, industry leaders and executives policymakers, people from NGOs working in in, um, in sustainability domains, and our own student and alumni community um, with speakers from, you know, industry and academia. And, um, and it's just a really great gathering point. Um, normally, it's in April this year, they had to postpone it to November because of the pandemic, and then turning it virtually. And, um, you know, at every step of the way from that first summit, what it's been used for is for students to lead the way and really push us as faculty and really push the institute, um, because uh, because it's it's a space to explore topics that aren't in the formal curriculum yet, um, that are you know in you know new practices that are being explored and experimented with out in the field that haven't been studied through academic research yet, and so it really does end up allowing it to be kind of this. Uh, this forward-leaning uh, effort and forward-leaning conversation that we are always very excited to be to get to be a part of. Well, it's an interesting history, and starting back in 2008-2009, that it was motivated by a student. I wonder if it is something that initially was outside the parameters of what we traditionally think about when we think about, you know, school of management and business. Sustainability is something that maybe we think more about in the public public policy arena, more in the scientific arena, you know, actually solving, yeah. um, you know, problems in a lab of how to convert, you know, one thing to another. Uh, ha- what, is it something that is um, sort of a extracurricular activity or is it something that has become a part of how business is being done or needs to be done in the world? Where does it sit in the spectrum of, of student preparation? It's, it's just such a great question. Um, so first off, I should say that the Sustainability Summit has always been led by a mix of students from across MIT, um, but it's always included MBA students or business students um, along the way. And so it's had it has had that kind of emphasis. And, and part of that has to do with... Um, what MIT Sloan is as a management school, um, which is that it's a mission-driven school. Um, we're, not very many of us are in the physical building right now, but on the wall it says that we develop principled, innovative leaders who improve the world and generate ideas that advance management practice. And that notion of improving the world is, you know, a lot of business schools will sort of say that, and it's become very in vogue to have mission statements like that, but it's it's something that you really feel in your bones around MIT, because it's a it's MIT as an institution is all about problem solving um, in the world and the business school students come there to sort of use the techniques use the tools of management and finance to try to solve real problems in the world and um, and and our sustainability initiative is really a a place to 
um, capitalize on that interest, that natural interest by students, and then propel people forward. So we have, um, and, 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 and to answer your question, it is completely integral to what it means to be a management student at MIT. So 95% of our students take at least one elective course in sustainability. Um, it's built into the core of the classes that they take, that they all take. There's sort of sustainability content peppered throughout. Um, a third of our students, so about 250 or so, take three or more courses in sustainability during their time. And if they want to go especially deep and kind of tag themselves with these with this topic, um, they can get a sustainability certificate, which is kind of like a concentration. They have to take five classes. So, so it's it, it whatever level of depth people want to go. Um, it's a pretty robust community, and and it's and it's part of what allows us to start attracting students like Brandon um, and others who who really want to lead in this space. Um, and we do think that this is essential to what it means to be a manager in the 21st century, given that, A, we've got these big global challenges around climate change and inequality, um, and our institutions are, you know, really calling on business to act on those problems in the form of the UN, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, in the form of the whole financial sector trying to incorporate environmental and social performance into the way they assess companies to um, consumer movements toward um, better products in, in all industries, especially in food. Um, and so um, so it really I, I don't think you can get away with 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 training managers in the 21st century if you're not, you know, really having a, a major stream of work on these themes. Well, you may have been able to get away with it a year ago. <laughs> Right. But I think over the last few months, certainly the uh, the world has really pivoted very quickly and very hard in a you know 180, 360, almost all the way around. And what were perhaps uh, trends or you know socially in vogue ideas of you know food and sustainability and environmentalism um where those were maybe you know loud conversations or important things or a uh, list of things for us to accomplish together you know societally on a 10 year 20 year 30 year 50 year game plan mm -hmm. those voices i think are are loud and yelling and in some instances screaming at the top of their lungs that change needs to happen like in the next day, week, mm -hmm. months, just because of of all of the uh, issues that have been revealed with the global pandemic, it's sort of, you know, it, it's a. I, I love sports analogies, and I haven't used one in a long time. But when you're an athlete and you're you're working on movements, you know, gymnastics or calisthenics or swinging a kettlebell or something like that, the faster you go, the easier it is to mask bad form or mm -hmm. not doing the movement perfectly or kind of get away with it. You know, momentum mm -hmm. and speed sort of help you, you know, stay in balance and, and do what you need to do. And I do think that the momentum and speed of the, you know, global economy and food system had masked a lot mm -hmm. of the issues that we have. And when everything came to a grinding halt, it became abundantly clear, you know, the the issues and the problems that people have been talking about are really not, you know, sort of like fringe ideas from a few devoted. They're mm -hmm. really uh, significant 
you know, multinational problems that need to be resolved. So the timing of, of the 12th summit with the topic of food for thought is, is really kind of spot on. I would be curious to know, though, just historically, um, what were some of the topics that have been covered over the past decade? And how did, um, maybe this is a good time to bring Brandon in, how did food become the focal point for this year? Yeah, for sure. So a few topics that have been covered in the past, and all of this was before I actually joined the program, but uh, before food, we had uh, mobility covered a lot. And how does mobility work in um, urban environments? How does it work, uh, you know, getting across different larger areas. What Um, does mobility mean? Does that mean people physically moving? Does that mean mobile tech devices? So the way that it was addressed last year was a combination of both moving people and moving things. So, you know, how do we bring sustainability to transportation of both people and goods? Um, A lot of that meant micro mobility. So back then we saw a lot of emerging trends on, uh, you know, bike sharing, scooter sharing, things like that. So assessing how like what were the sustainability implications of that, um, as well as if you think about more of the larger logistics of moving things, like stuff like Amazon, next day delivery, uh, a lot of that was addressed in the previous summit too. And uh, even going further back, there's been a variety of topics covered as well, um, you know, ranging from uh, energy, um, you know, kind of going into you know, you know, like solar, wind, stuff like that, going into materials. So, you know, the ability to upcycle materials that we otherwise might have wasted. A lot of those were covered in the past. For this year's topic, uh, as Jason mentioned, this was actually postponed from April. So our decision making for this topic happened around fall 2019. Uh, but a lot of it came from student interest in the topic and just seeing around the world food is becoming more and more of a sort of a top of mind topic for people. Um, One thing that uh, one of my mentors had said to me that I uh, love is a way to frame it is uh, decades ago, you know, a kid would come back to their parents and they would say, I want to join a rock band or I want to be a rock star. And the parents said, no way. And what you're starting to see more these days is kids coming back home and saying, mom, dad, I want to be a vegetarian or I want to be a vegan. And then sometimes the parents say absolutely no way too. So it within, I think these next generations that are coming, food is becoming more and more of a way to express yourself and express your values. And we really want to capture a lot of that in choosing the summit. Has there been something specific either in the news or your personal experience or in your studies that has you gravitating towards food and sustainability? You had mentioned on our call earlier that you are not from a food-specific background in terms of your education or work, but that it's a topic that really interests you and one that you're interested in moving into. So is there a a catalyst moment of what brought this front and center for you? Yeah, there there were, I'd say, a couple moments that all came together. Uh, One actual pretty pivotal moment for me was when I came to the welcome weekend. MIT sort of has a welcome weekend once students get admitted and you can see the program before you uh, decide to accept. And we did a climate change simulation in that program called En-ROADS. And to me, that really brought to light a lot of the urgency around climate change and saying in that you basically drag all of these tickers left and right and try to get, you know, the global temperature rise by 2070 under 
two degrees Celsius to the best of your degree, uh, to the best of your ability. And that was actually really hard to do. You know, you could drag a lot of tickers, but you really had to make a lot of comprehensive action to make that happen. And that got me a bit more interested in sustainability. And from there, it kind of became a passion that I wanted to choose. I, even though I don't have much of a background in it, I love eating food. I love cooking food. I love learning about food. So for me personally, I thought I would combine my passion about cooking and eating and learning about food with, you know, this newfound sense of urgency on improving the sustainability and fighting climate change in the world. And that brought the two, uh, that kind of brought the two together. Well, it's certainly no shortage of, you know, ideas and, and groups and conferences and events and incubators and all those kinds of things looking at food and sustainability and, and food tech. Uh, I started Tech Bites in January of 2015, and we have done more than 200 shows. I think this episode is something like 218, and there have been a large number of the episodes which have focused on fixing the food system from some point. Um, and there have been certainly great strides, but I don't know that anything is, has been considered solved and moved off the to-do list uh -uh. <laughs> and retired. Um, but it, it, it's interesting, you know, you're passionate about food and eating and cooking and things like that. I wonder if this is just sort of the next iteration of, is this the next iteration of being a foodie? Mm -hmm. You know, for lack of a better term, you know, when people, you know, people's interest in food has been growing um, in society across the board in terms of um, exploring it, learning about it, cooking, you know, the advent of, you know, all of the cooking channels, celebrities, chefs. Um, we had, you know, the rise of the celebrity chefs. I think it was about 10 years ago, one of the magazine editors said the next iteration was going to be the celebrity farmer. Mm -hmm. celebrity, uh, you know, bread makers, and then all of, you know, the ingredients. And, and food is actually one of the last truly authentic things that you can experience uh, about a society. When we travel, even, you know, in our own cities, I live in New York City, I live in Chelsea, and I've been here for a long, long time. And when I go down to Soho, it used to be, you know, so many small little unique boutiques and art galleries. And now it's multinational shops and it's not very different from being in Paris or Italy or uh, Bangkok or any other city in the world because we see so many things that are the same now um, because there has been such a global expansion of business that getting into a community and getting to local food and food types and small restaurants and customs and traditions is sort of one of the last unique things that you can do uh, in a community and traveling. Do you, do you think of yourself as a foodie or do you think of this food passion as being uh, a calling or a business or is it just an interesting differentiator right now in your studies? For me, I would actually call it a career pivot. Uh, so when I graduate, I do plan to go into food sustainability. I'm targeting alternative protein ideally, but it has become something that personally I do want to focus a lot of my life and a lot of my effort around. Um, so it, it, it could expand from me being a foodie and just taking, you know, food to a new direction. I totally agree with what you said about how food is 
some of the last vestiges of local character that you can find in some communities, especially with the expansion of um, you know, other businesses or other corporations. So I think food's just so integral to the, it's so important to the human experience that, uh, you know, for me, it's something that I would love to just focus my career on. And even from a business perspective, understand how, you know, how best to achieve better food equity in the world, how to make food more sustainable, and, you know, how to preserve a lot of the character and culture that, uh, you know, food has evolved throughout human history. And I'll just, I'll just add, you know, just from my vantage point as a faculty member, seeing students coming in and out of MIT like Brandon, um, it, I think, you know, it's kind of this, this, this idea of what's personal is political and what's political is personal. Um, food is this place where all of these big global issues, like all show up right on your plate in the sense that, you know, we hear about, um, you know, we hear about climate change and then we find that, oh, well, actually one of the biggest things you can do as an individual to reduce, you know, the methane emissions that are associated with, with beef production is to, you know, shift away from beef in your, in your diet. Um, we hear about, um, human trafficking and modern slavery, and we find out that the most significant, um, you know, some of the most significant labor, violations and instances of modern slavery are in fish and cocoa supply chains. And so now all of a sudden my meal and my dessert, like I've got to, I want to be really thoughtful about where those things are coming from. Um, you know, we hear about the economic and food insecurity that people are facing right now amid the COVID crisis and the economic crisis. And so we're all looking for ways to literally feed our neighbors. Um, and so it's a place where, Everything that is that you read about in the news suddenly becomes very real, very tangible, and literally a part of your body. And so, it's like um, there is this um, there is this uh, piece of little market analysis that um, that that Clorox uh, or was it Clorox or Procter and Gamble was doing when they were trying to look at sort of what's the market for sustainable products. And what they found was that people will buy sustainable products when it's going to be on me, in me, or around me. On me meaning skincare, body care, personal care type products. In me meaning the food I eat. Around me meaning in my home, like home cleaning products and things like that. Because there's this kind of overlay between this feeling of wanting to preserve my own health and protect my own health um, together with this idea of protecting workers and the environment um, and I think there's another overlay to that, which is that it's like this kind of almost like moral purity kind of feeling. Like if I'm going to put this thing in my body, I want to know that it's a good thing and not a bad thing. And so it's like a very natural locus for us to be um, confronting some of these um, big issues around social, economic, and environmental challenges that we face. And I, and I, And we see more and more when our students want to localize these things in their lives and their careers. Um, there's a lot of different ways that they can do that, um, you know, in a whole variety of different companies and industries, you know, Brennan mentioned transportation and energy and so on. Um, but food is a, a very strong perennial and kind of growing interest um, at this intersection. Well, perennial and growing interest of food is something that we believe in wholeheartedly at Heritage Radio Network. We have been on the air for more than 10 years. We have tens of thousands of episodes in the library and archives 
um, about everything ranging from school lunch politics to farming mm. to home brewing, cheese, the restaurant industry, um, all different types of topics. And this is probably a great time to say we are also a 501c3 nonprofit and we are kind of like public radio and we mm -hmm. keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of members who are mostly listeners like you, grants and underwriters like this one. Stay with us while we take a quick break. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy, despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new show. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we are talking about MIT's 12th Sustainability Summit. The topic is food for thought, which is something we know a little bit about. If you are interested in learning more about the Sustainability Summit or perhaps even attending yourself, it will be held virtually on Friday, November 6th. You can find out more about it and register online at sustainabilitysummit.mit.edu. You can follow them on social media at MIT Sustainability Summit. Today we are talking with Jason Jay, who's the director of the Sustainability Initiative at the Sloan School of Management. He's also a senior lecturer and has been involved in the summit for quite some time. And Brandon Lee, who is an MBA student and co-director of this year's project. It, while it was planned in fall of 2019, the topic of food for thought and sustainability couldn't be more important than it is right now. The global pandemic has really revealed some some true deficiencies in our food system that we've been talking about for quite some time, but many of us are actually experiencing it right now. Um, we've been covering so many issues on this show from distribution to farming to consumer retail, how all of these things and ideas of, of these things have really been turned on their head in so many ways. In our organizational call before the show, we were talking about how this year's summit is organized, and it will be organized into four different segments, the focus on the life cycle of food, 
the production, the distribution, consuming it, and then disposing of it. So, Brandon, talk us through a little bit about um, what we're going to be looking at in each of the categories. And I mean, just out of curiosity, this makes perfect sense to talk about food sustainability, but is there anything that um, you that came forward that you added when the pandemic broke? Is there anything that you eliminated to make room for something else? Or did it just solidify the idea that this was a really relevant topic for right now? Yeah, after the pandemic hit, we definitely did some changes around the original framework that you mentioned with, uh, you know, produce, distribute, consume and dispose. That framework stayed mostly in place because we still wanted to address the whole life cycle of food and see the implications of sustainability within each step of food getting grown to getting disposed or upcycled. Uh, Where we did want to add two additional dimensions based on just all the recent developments that have happened in 2020 are, uh, one, how has the pandemic affected these different parts of the food supply chain? And two, how has, you know, the rising need for racial equity um, affected food equity, food security, and, you know, equal access to food? So going through a lot of our, going through each of these segments, Um, we are trying to address all of these in different ways. I would say in uh, Produce, we're still working on which film we want to do, but we're trying to do a film discussion that focuses a lot on, you know, how does food get produced from the human side of things? So, you know, where does labor fit into that kind of stuff? Uh, From Distribute, we have some really exciting perspectives that we want to bring through in a panel. Uh, We've got a couple of speakers, one from uh, Replate, which is an organization that coordinates the efforts of uh, food surplus providers. So restaurant industry, groceries, basically anyone who often has food surplus and trying to distribute those to more uh, food insecure uh, communities and families. And distribute also has, uh, we're also planning on bringing on the World Food Food Program Accelerator, uh, which is a segment of the World Food Program based in Munich that is, it essentially tries to fund and support different innovations that can help out with food secure, food insecurity and food access throughout the entire world. Um, in consume, we're focusing a little bit more on alternative protein. Uh, so with that aspect, I think we're going to hear a lot about the implications of the pandemic on the meatpacking industry and the animal food supply chain, which you know, we saw massive shutdowns and a lot of spread of COVID in meatpacking plants. And it also exposed a lot of labor issues in meatpacking plants as well. And then in the disposed segment, we're going to focus a lot on upcycling and saying, how do we, um, you know, how do we take food that otherwise might have been wasted and capture value and keep it from, you know, emitting methane is just a waste product. And for that one, we actually have an interesting startup that we're going to feature, uh, Take Two. Uh, they kind of they kind of almost do the opposite of Toast Ale, which uh, you guys talked with uh, a couple episodes ago, I believe, in that they take spent grain um, from the beer making process and they produce barley milk out of it. So essentially some a high protein uh, beverage that you can consume that uses a lot of these otherwise waste products that you would find in the brewing industry. 
So that's just a little preview of some of the segments that we're going to go through and how we're trying to have each of them address COVID and food equity. Talk to us a little bit about the food equity piece. And um, Jason, I would also be curious to hear from your point of view, you know, both from the uh, from a management perspective and also from a teaching perspective. You know, again, are these things that are just sort of progressing along with interest apace of what you've seen before? Is there something a little bit different happening now. And I, w- I would be curious also to hear about the equity piece, if that's something new or if that's something that's also been, you know, one of the, the storylines in mm-hmm. the sustainability programs. Sure, sure. So, you know, the, the word sustainability in the United States context has a very strong environmental connotation culturally. When people hear the word sustainable or sustainability, their mind immediately goes to climate change, materials, recycling, physical system, environmental impacts. Um, We have been, from the beginning, since the initiative started in kind of 06, 07, um, really reinforcing a view that in some ways you might call a more European view of sustainability, which is that it, it is it is equal parts socioeconomic justice and environmental, um, uh, re- you know, restoration and regeneration. And um, and we, we look at sort of labor, pra- like I mentioned, the, the, the modern slavery that occurs in the cocoa and, and, uh, and seafood supply chains. And that is we see that as both morally unsustainable and ultimately Bit, um, unsustainable business practice in, this, in, in the kinds of risks that it creates to companies and brands and supply chains when that's going on. And so for us, it's something, it's a drumbeat that we've had to continuously um, play. Um, and I think, and sometimes, it, and I think it's, I think recently I've come to understand that there's a reason that it takes constant effort to do that, which is that the environmental topics are a lot more comfortable for people to, to talk about. They're a lot more comfortable for people to try to confront. They're a lot more comfortable because we look at it and we say, well, there's probably a technological solution to, you know, we can just come up with the same thing, but a lower carbon version or the same thing, but a, you know, a lower waste version. Um, whereas with the social equity concerns, whether those are about, you know, the labor standards and meatpacking plants that Brennan mentioned, um, or modern slavery, or access to food and food insecurity and, and malnutrition right now, um, which is a problem, in, rapidly increasing problem, U.S. and abroad because of COVID, um, you know, it's a lot less comfortable to take on, just as we've seen with all of these recent movements toward racial justice. Um, so I would say from our perspective, this is something that we have really worked to make an integral part of the curriculum and the conversation. Um, I think the big thing that's changed in the last two years, um, and this actually precedes COVID, is a, a is is the students, the incoming students, really having a um, an appetite for um, working on equity and justice issues. And I think that goes back to the Occupy movement, the rise of this sort of understanding of you know Piketty and like the broader conversations about inequality. And then the more recent um, attention on racial injustice issues that have been with us for a very long time, but are kind of in the fo- somehow captured people's imagination now because it was so visible how different the effect of COVID is on Black and Brown populations. That um, you know now we're now it's it is a uh, it is it, it's like a tailwind for us 
to have so much student interest in these topics. And so we've been able to do things like, you know, two years ago, we took our, our capstone course in sustainability and we focused it on the opioid epidemic and sort of the what we saw is socially unsustainable practices among the opioid company providers. Um, this past year, Bethany Patton, who's the instructor for that course, was able to focus it on the pandemic and responsible business approaches to the pandemic and how to deal with the inequity issues. So it is... Um, it is both something that we have always wanted to have and 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 worked to have be part of the content and conversation, but more recently that is a uh, a a real dialogue and a very vibrant dialogue with the students um, who 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 want to be taking on these issues front and center alongside climate change. So there's a term that we use around MIT called multi-solving. Um, which is coined by Beth Sewan, who's an MIT alum at Climate Interactive, which is all about how do we come up with solutions that solve multiple problems at the same time because all of these problems are essential and urgent. Um, so, you know, and I think that that becomes the sort of ethos for the type of companies that Brendan and his team are bringing to the table um, for the Sustainability Summit and kind of the ethos for the kind of management skills we're trying to develop among our students. A couple of interesting, really interesting things that um, you said in, in that response. One is what sustainability means in America. And that is uh, such a salient point. We had talked a bunch about that back in uh, 2015, 2016, when we had some guests around the uh, World Expo, the World's Fair that took place in Milan, and the theme was, you know, feeding the world. And the difference in the European perspective versus the American perspective and in something as simple as, um, you know, upcycling and zero food waste, where, mm-hmm. where um, you know, the Americans thought it was so interesting an idea to, you know, do dinners and things like that with using what would we would traditionally call scraps. And many of the Europeans didn't understand why that was an interesting idea because that's simply the way they cook and have been, you Mm -hmm. know, sort of using their foods for quite some time. And even something as simple as that was, you know, showed a a big difference between how we perceive things in the U.S. versus the rest of the world. It's also interesting, uh, you know, how it's maybe a little bit easier to attack something that has an environmental issue versus a people issue. And I think that's because, while you know, we can understand, you know, chopping down a forest is bad for the environment. It's a little less uh, perhaps hurtful and devastating to imagine, you know, the child labor in, you know, the cocoa production and in the um, seafood. I, I note that the New York Times did that big expose on shrimp and how yes. that was mostly slave labor, and that was a few years ago, and that really resonated in terms of, I think it was Red Lobster who canceled their unlimited shrimp promotion or something yes, like yeah. that, and that, yeah. made a, that made a big, big impact, but then I don't know that we talk about it that much anymore, and we've sort of like moved on to something else. Um, it's a little bit harder to ignore a person than it is to ignore a plant. Um, but again... You know, I don't know that these things are actually, you know, they happen in, in other parts of the world. So maybe, you know, the American point of view is, is a very interesting one. Um, I would ask the question to Brandon. 
now that you are almost at the event, you're a few weeks out, um, is, is there a guest that you are super excited about? Who's your, who's your favorite, you know, biggest get so far that you can talk with us about? Yeah, I would say um, I, I'm really excited about the set of keynotes that we're bringing on. Um, we are, for our keynotes, we are planning on bringing the uh, Chief Sustainability Officer of Oatly, uh, the company that produces oat milk, uh, the Director of Sustainability of Appeal Sciences, which uh, essentially makes a plant-based coating that you can put on produce to make it last longer. So a lot of great uh, dispose implications there. And we're planning on getting someone from Impossible Foods as well, just to talk a bit more from the alternative meat side of things. Um, so I'm really excited for that set of keynotes that we have. Um, among though, uh, among them, I'm especially excited for uh, getting Appeal Sciences represented. It's a very fast growing company based out of LA. And they, um, you know, I think the plant-based coating that they're able to put on food, it is something that a lot of consumers don't yet think of, but just the amount of waste and the amount of emissions that come from wasting produce by, you know, buying it, having it rot in your fridge, unfortunately, or having it go bad out in the fruit bowl and then tossing it that, you know, has a lot of uh, sustainability impact. And I think it would be great to hear a lot more about how just, you know, that simple coating or um, how extending shelf life for a few days can actually have a lot of broad sustainability impact. Well, the great thing about this year's summit also is that you probably will be able to get a lot more just regular people, maybe not necessarily students, not necessarily people in the industry, but people like our listeners who are really interested in this and, and use information like this to guide the choices that they make, you know, every day in terms of how they fill their fridge and, and feed their families. Uh, Jason, one last question to you. Um, do you see uh, a sort of, and maybe it's it's a difficult question to ask because you are in a completely different learning environment and teaching environment now that things are remote and not in person. Mm -hmm. um, but do you see um, a difference or anything um, new in terms of students or faculty or things that people are talking about and interested in now? Um, versus pre-pandemic? Or is it just sort of accelerated the existing conversations and thoughts and roadmaps? Yeah, that's it, a great question. I mean, I think, like I said, the pandemic, the, I think the inequities that are brought to light by the pandemic are very striking in people's minds. And so... You know, where a couple of years ago, I don't think that the topic of racial justice would even come up in a summit on food sustainability. Um, you know, you heard Brendan mention that as something that they're looking at as a kind of cross-cutting theme through 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 their through their process. Um, in the um, you know, and, and and similarly, I think when we think about the concept of malnutrition, or um, as we like to the euphemism we like to use in the United States of food insecurity. I think we, you know, used to think about that as something that maybe happens somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa. And now we're understanding that it's happening right next door. Um, and so those, those issues I think are very much brought to mind right now in ways that they wouldn't have been before. Um, I think 
This is not, I don't think, related to the pandemic, but just something that's been happening in parallel is this whole sort of set of interests and questions in the topic of regenerative agriculture um, and what, and I think that's probably a result of some well-made Netflix documentaries. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think Michael Pollan's work continuing to permeate out into the world um, and a couple of other things. Um, and so people just thinking about where their food comes from and what it looks like. I mean, I guess maybe any net, the fact that people are watching Netflix documentaries is itself a phenomenon of the pandemic. Um, I think we all had a lot of other things that we watched or did more than that in the past. Um, I'm hearing that from a lot of people these days. And so, you know, maybe that is a moment of global awareness that's possible through some of those channels. Um, Well, something that we've talked about on this show repeatedly since um, March, we did our first show remotely. Um, I think it was the 16th of March, and it was actually episode 200 of Tech Byte. So it was a landmark episode for so many different reasons. But this is the first time... Uh, in, you know, modern history where the entire world is experiencing the same thing at the same time. And regardless of where you are in the world and the country you're in and what your home looks like and, and what you do to sustain yourself and your family, the, the, hu- the, the global pause has created a moment of you know, sort of reckoning and evaluation across the world in some way, shape, or form. And that's never really happened. And it's become something that I think is very powerful. Mm -hmm. Uh, People watching the documentaries, reading things, you know, so many articles about why there are shortages. It's not that there isn't enough food. It's that there's no way to get them from the farm to the people. Or it's not that the factory is not in this country, but the parts are made in a different country. And People are really experiencing so many of the things that I think they were just tacitly reading, you mm-hmm. know, either in the news or on their phone or, you know, experiencing. Yeah. So it's been a very, very interesting time. I will say, um, as a last thought, um, and you actually, both of you in terms of talking about alternative proteins and sustainability around farming, Uh, Our show next week is going to be uh, focusing on sustainable and regenerative agriculture, specifically around cattle. Okay. We're going to be having some return guests. The name of the company is Harvest Returns. They were on the show about a year ago, and they are crowdfunding for farms. Um, Hmm. It's a little bit more than, you know... A Kickstarter campaign where you pony in ten dollars. It's it's structured more as an an investment, um, but it is a type of you know crowdfunding for farms, local farms, and they one of the arenas that they're focusing on is regenerative farming. And it's so interesting because especially on this show, you know we've talked to folks from Impossible Foods. We've talked about the you know uh, plant based burger wars and plant based everything substitute for (laughs) animal, um, which is definitely a trend in in so many ways. And this is really one of the first times that, you know, people are talking about regenerative farming and the fact that most of the grass-fed beef in this country comes from Australia. And how Mm -hmm. sustainable is that in so many ways, um, especially now? So it's going to be a really interesting episode, and it's going to be an interesting counterpoint, I think, to... Uh, so much of what we're reading right now about alternative proteins and, and stepping away from, you know, beef and cattle and, and different, you know, animal agriculture. 
so it should be a very, very interesting show um, to talk about the you know other side of the coin um, and see how that and see how that plays out. Um, I want to thank uh, Brandon Lamb, who is the co-director of MIT's 12th Sustainability Summit. The topic this year is Food for Thought. I also want to thank Jason Jay, who's senior lecturer at MIT Sloan School of Management and the director of the Sustainability Initiative. If you're interested in taking a look at the summit yourself, Get information online at sustainabilitysummit.mit.edu. The event takes place virtually on Friday, November 6th. It should be really interesting. And, you know, uh, the virtual events have the silver lining of being able to expand the audience and being able to expand inclusion, both on the participant side and on the audience side. That's certainly something that we have found here at TechBytes. If you enjoyed the show, come back and see us next week. You can find us on heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and your favorite podcasting platform. If you really love the show and you think these conversations are important to stay connected, to stay informed, and to create a record of what we are doing right now in this moment in time, Go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and make a donation. Maybe give us what you spent on coffee or delivery or a plant-based burger. It will allow (laughs) us to make more radio, keep the lights on, and that is so important right now. Staying informed, staying connected, and recording our food history is something we believe in and something we hope to keep doing and share with all of you. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bites. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.